Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochilla alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, October 14th. We're diving into the Virginia Tech loss to North Carolina. We're going to preview their upcoming game against Boston College. We're also going to recap and preview all the action in week five and six across the ACC. We're going to do some lines. It's going to be a good show. It's going to be an insightful show, uh, some good feedback. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? You know, just sitting here getting ready to do a podcast craving chicken wings as usual, which leads me to my first topic of discussion here, which kind of circulated around Twitter. I don't know where it came from, but there was a tweet about an all-you-can-eat wing buffet, uh, and I, obviously my, my first place my head went was Sharky's, um, and then I realized there was no wing buffet that I was aware of around here, uh, you know, like like Sharky's, where I could get all-I-could-eat wings. You know, a listener of the show, Heath, tweeted me, and he asked me how many wings I thought I could eat at an all-I-could-eat wing buffet. And I valid threw out question. 50. Yeah, it's a valid question. I threw out 50. Upon further review, I think I might have oversold myself a little bit. I don't know. What, what do you think is your number? Because 50 to me seemed right at first, but I don't know if that's high school, college era Tim or 33-year-old washed-up Tim. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough because... Uh... You know, wings are those those food where you feel like you can eat them like all day, like you right. can't be stopped. Just dominate, you know, your wing buffet dinner. Um, but once you get to like twenty, you start to feel it, and it really oh. kind of depends on the sauce and mm-hmm. what whatever option you've you've decided to go with. If you're going to go with like something like a little spicy or maybe it's like tangy, you might just kind of grow tired of it. That might affect you. I'm more of a dry rub kind of guy. I think that yeah. kind of carries me a little bit further. Um, but 50 is a lot. 50 of anything is a lot. 50 is a lot. And, and another variable I was thinking about, too, as I was texting, you know, at about wing number 20, the wings go from, like, amazing to these mostly slightly cold, kind of soggy-skinned, right. not appetizing things. Yeah, they didn't um, just come out of the oven. Right. So Now, if they're maybe, being fed to you that way, like, here's 10. Sure. And then here come 10 more. And then that was, more. that's what I was that getting might at. Change I, I think that would change it, right? So, you know, I, I was trying to add it together. I don't, I, I think 50 is out of the equation. I don't think I could do 50. Um, I think I could. You know, la- I'm not going like, to I usually get like 15 or 10 in order. So that's like three or four times what I'm used to taking in. So I, I'm interested in exploring this, though. I haven't ever really tested myself on chicken wings to eat until I literally could not eat anymore. But I think that's going to be on the docket at some point here in the near future. Yeah, well, I, I look back at uh, how I ate in, uh, in college, and, uh, you know, I entered college a little bit larger than life, and, you know, I actually lost a bunch of weight, but I still ate like a freaking champ, like un- right. like just unbelievable food intake. Um, looking back on it now, like I just down an entire Domino's pizza, like it was, you know, my job, and then, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, maybe hit up the Taco Bell, you know? If I did that now... Of course. Um, probably gonna move like a sloth for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, yeah I mean, Maybe I can't even eat if I eat, if I eat too close to bed. I can't even sleep. I don't know, man. I've got age, man. It's a crazy thing. I remember, you know, back in the day in college, you'd stay out all night. You know, you'd come back, get some pokey sticks, maybe two a.m. You'd be fine. You'd fall right to sleep. If I ate pokey sticks at two a.m., I just wouldn't even go to sleep. I mean, I would feel so terrible. It wouldn't even happen. You know. Time's Dude, changed. pokey sticks, I, I still dream about them. 
Oh yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, when I went to Blacksburg, I it's been a while now uh, since Gumby's has been closed. There's probably uh, we might have some listeners here that don't even know what we're talking about because it's been closed for a while. It has. Um, I was devastated. I could not wait to get my Pokey Sticks order <laughs> at around you know two a.m. Yep. Yep. And then I come to find out they're closed. And it, it pretty much put a damper on my entire weekend. I know. I, I know many people had to be crushed by that. Yeah. Um, you know, those were those were one of the epitome of, of drunk foods in college, for sure. But wow. Just anyway, my mind going on chicken wings as usual. Um, but that's always going to be, you know, an easy segue for me because that's my mind. Aren't, I'm thinking about chicken wings probably five out of the seven days of the week. And also shout out to the Atlanta Braves 2 and 0 against the Los Angeles Dodgers. However, their bats seem to have woken up. So I don't know if it's going to be a series the Braves are still going to take. I've been hurt so many times by the Braves in the playoffs. I don't think my mind can actually accept the fact that they may win yet another playoff series uh, and end up in the World Series. Um, I'm not really ready to conquer that mentally yet, but let's just say I'm extremely excited. Yeah, definitely not locked up. Uh, you got to think if that game goes another inning, they lose. Um, sure. They they really let that one get away from them. But, hey, they held on 2-0. Got Tampa yeah. Bay beating the Houston uh, uh, Asterix 3-0 in the series right now. So let's see uh, <laughs> nice. let's see if the Rays, who <laughs> it just it's incredible what Tampa Bay is able to do with yeah. Yeah, like, it is. I mean, limited it, it's resources. Crazy. It's unreal. Yeah. No fans, the, no money, the pitching, and a game away from the World Series. It's crazy. It's crazy, and they seemingly do it with such consistency. It's almost mind-blowing. Um, and maybe not making runs in the playoffs, but performing way above expectations, seemingly on a yearly basis. So, um, you know, good for them. And with their starting pitching, they're going to be an absolute animal to stop uh, in the World Series, which, assuming they get there. Yeah. Well, Tim, why don't we uh, go ahead and jump into it here. So uh, there was a big game this past weekend, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, some other big, big matchups in the ACC we'll get to as well. But we'll start off with uh, with that one. 56-45, the final, uh, you know, North Carolina's offense uh, really came to life, looked really good. Virginia Tech's defense, not so much, not no. so much. It 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 was bad. So let's let's go by the numbers here to start, and this will kind of help us get into the preview or the recap here. Three hundred and ninety-nine—that's the amount of rushing yards allowed by Virginia Tech, the third most in Virginia Tech history. Six fifty-four most total yards allowed in Virginia Tech history, and fifty-six, the second most points in a Hokies game going back to nineteen eighty-seven. So, uh, mm. a lot of offense. You know, there's there's no doubt. Where Virginia Tech really got into trouble was getting North Carolina off the field. And in fact, Virginia Tech's best defense for that was a lot of times North Carolina's inability to catch a ball on third down. So there was only two punts that UNC had in the first half, both because of drops by the receivers. Uh, If we take the numbers five and eight, five out of the seven drives went for touchdowns in the first half for Carolina. Eight out of 12 in the game went for touchdowns. Ten was the number of points that UNC was outscored by in the second half. So they were outscored 31-21, likely helped um, by VT, recovering an onside kick by Brian Johnson there, so it gave North Carolina one less possession. Uh, 11.2, that's the number of yards per pass UNC averaged. 9.3, the number of yards per carry they averaged. And 60%, their third down conversion rate against the Virginia Tech defense. 
So uh, some pretty ugly numbers if you're on the uh, Virginia Tech side of the fence there. From a defensive standpoint, here's the deal. Shorthanded, UNC dominated it. I, I get it, okay? But my concerns overall had nothing to do with depletion. You know, it was fundamentals that seemed to be lacking uh, this defense. And, you know, everybody knew there was going to be limitations in the secondary. You know, no Divine Diablo. Keonta Jenkins was out. You know, you can throw in Devin Hunter and Nasir Peoples if you want to, but I think we have to get past that. Virginia Tech knows they're not going to have those guys for the remainder of the year. Nasir got hurt. Devin Hunter, off the field issue. They're not around, okay? So, unfortunately, Virginia Tech was down to their sixth and seventh option at both safeties positions. Uh, Shamari Connor, I mean, you, you just can't do what he did. Like, no. he, he's a he's a veteran of that defense. He has to know how valuable it is for him to be on the field and to have just a surefire targeting call be upheld against him, which was the right call because <laughs> that was textbook textbook targeting you know that just added to the attrition that Virginia Tech had in the back half of the defense but all of that being said that doesn't explain why Virginia Tech was dominated up front the way that they were they looked slow at linebacker they couldn't tackle like they just could not make a tackle no no, the okay. tackling was atrocious. And I, I don't mean like, you know, miss, miss the tackle by like not getting your hands on. I mean like getting your hands on the guy and not being able to wrap him up and bring him to the ground. Virginia Tech's defensive line got absolutely nominated the entire game. It was eaten up by a pretty young North Carolina offensive line that looked bigger and stronger than the defensive front did. So that was really uh, concerning. You know, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll look at it from a COVID implication standpoint, Tim. You know, I'm not going to say it's the worst defensive performance I've seen because I don't think that's necessarily fair. You know, there's certainly things to be concerned about. You know, is this defense going to dominate week in, week out, healthy or not? No, I don't think so. There's been too much non COVID attrition, especially in the back half of that defense. For that to be the case, I surely think it's right. a defense that can compete and, you know, give Virginia Tech a good chance to win a Virginia Tech offense that's, you know, putting up the worst offensive uh, total from a score standpoint they put up this year is 38. I mean, that's far superior to years past. So I think the two combined can can work together really well. Obviously, being down the number of guys they were in the secondary hurt, but even if those guys were there... I still think Virginia Tech loses this game because of their inability to do the little things right. And that's what was so concerning. And the other thing is they knew the best part about North Carolina's offense this season was running the football. They had to. I mean, if they if they watch the tape, if they've watched the games, Michael Carter and Javante Williams are what makes that offense tick. Yeah. 43 rushing attempts. For North Carolina, 399 total yards. Can't happen. Yeah, can't. No, it can't. And, you know, like you said, attrition is a large part of it. 
Um, you know, th there's no putting lipstick on a pig when it comes to our scenario in regards to COVID has been extremely frustrating with contact tracing and COVID and, and we're doing the right thing by making these guys sit. You know, th this is just sheer frustration at something that f by large is out of our control. Um, you know, when, when you sit back and you look, there's one play in particular that I think kind of epitomizes um, everything that was going on. Long run from Carter. Uh, Tyler Matheny had an angle where he could have made a play. Carter runs around him to the right side so fast. I mean, it was shot past him out of a cannon. And this is not a knock on Tyler. But when you have walk-on starting in the secondary in important positions like safety um, and you go back and look at this play and see how quickly Carter separated from Matheny, just as if Matheny was, was running in mud, you realize kind of what we're, open, what we're up against in some of these spots. Now, I don't want you to think I'm picking on Matheny because Matheny led the team in tackles. He had eight tackles. He played great. Um, great in quotation marks. I mean, great per... I guess, the scope of the game. But it was that one play where you just realize that some of these positions, we are, we, it is patchwork. Just to get by, just to field a team. That makes it hard enough when you're playing anybody, let alone a team that excels at offense. Like you mentioned, Williams and Carter, um, you know, Sam Howell, obviously. Uh, incredible. But when you talk about, uh, you know, what we're doing on defense, the attrition is one thing. The other side of the coin that you know we really haven't mentioned so much, and I think people maybe are forgetting about to a certain extent, is yeah, we we're, this is a team that's learning a new scheme. I mean, they're they're learning a new scheme from what Bud Foster preached for a long time, and they haven't recruited yet to their scheme that they want to do. These players have different gap responsibilities, different keys, everything. The scheme is different. What it looked like to me is that we had an undermanned defense learning a new scheme, and we ran into a buzzsaw, much like NC State ran into. And it looked like shell shock set in, they got punched in the mouth, and unfortunately we weren't able to recover from that on defense. But if you go back through that lens, through the attrition lens, through the, oh yeah, we're running a different scheme lens, you can kind of see why we looked so slow. You know, mentally we looked slow. We weren't as quick to react as we were. We weren't causing the havoc that we were able to cause in previous games. And that was brutally evident when you go back and watch it a second time. It's not like we, we weren't seeing the same Rook out there. We weren't seeing the same Dax. Um, you know, by and large, the front seven looked terrible. Uh, and that's not something that we were used to seeing. Although I think if we were going in and sitting back and saying what part of our defense gives you some concern going up against UNC, it is the rush defense because that's what UNC had been doing so well. And they continued to do that well. Now, I wasn't expecting them to succeed in the way that they did. But all things considered, you can kind of see how a game like this may have happened. And I'm not ready to throw any criticisms at the defensive coaching staff. I think the defense, if you put it, if you looked at it as a whole and threw this game out and just looked at it on an average with all the games put together, you'd say they had performed pretty well up until this point. Really well. Um, but when you get hit in the mouth like this against a good team, sometimes your reaction to it isn't the best. And I think it was just one of those things where that shell shock set in. And then it was like a snowball, you know, rolling downhill with all the momentum and there was nothing we could do about it. Yeah. And I mean, again, like even though we had certain guys back, Jermaine Waller, Armani Chapman, 
we don't know how much they practice during the week, you know, from a safety standpoint, you know, obviously extremely limited there. So, you know, what I'll say about the defense is I never felt like they quit on the game, which I felt good about. Uh, that's something that you couldn't say at times uh, throughout the uh, first few games of last season. So, you know, I, I feel comfortable that they'll go back to the drawing board. They'll figure this stuff out. They'll make adjustments. They'll get guys more reps. And depth won't be as big of a concern, at least. It shouldn't be this week. Um, and hopefully going forward as the season kind of goes on. But the the COVID thing is going to be here. I mean, it's just it's the way it is. Um, it, just because it's hitting Virginia Tech strong now doesn't mean it won't hit them strong later. Um, so we'll just have to see. And for those that keep saying, well, no other program is having the issues, I mean, I guess you're just not paying attention. I mean, just open your eyes. Look, look right. past Virginia Tech news for a second. And every program is dealing with COVID-19. They may not have 20 yeah. guys out every single week. but Unless you're Florida. Unless you're Florida. Baylor <laughs> had to shut down their program. Right. They had to shut it down after multiple weeks of COVID and then really not being able to get it under control. So, I mean, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, every, yeah. every school is dealing with this. And, you know, you can point to certain schools throughout the country. Well, not every school is taking the same approach to COVID-19 and the way that they're conducting online classes and on-campus classes and things like that. So, you know, that certainly adds another element to it. You know, if you're North Carolina, you don't go to class if you're a student athlete. So, you know, they don't really have anything to worry about. Um, That was a low blow, but I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But Tim, you know, I, uh, what I, what I want to get into now is the offense and, you know, I, I guess we weren't allowed to criticize, um, on the Twitter sphere, what the offense looked like in the first half, because I guess there's a certain, um, you know, there's a certain Virginia tech fan out there that can't look past the box score. You know, you can point right. to total yards and you can point to yards per, per game and average yards per play and things like that. But if you're watching the game, the offense did nothing to help the defense in the first half of the game, and no. that was the point. Everybody knew what they were getting into on the defensive side of the football. They knew they were limited. They knew they were going to struggle. They knew they were going up against one of the most high-powered offenses in the country, you know, a, a right. very well-balanced offense. So what do you have to do on offense if you're Virginia Tech? You need to be able to sustain drives, (laughs) stay on the field, and hopefully put up some points. I'm not saying that if you score 45 points, you know, you should be losing every single week. You know, this isn't the Big 12. But this is a year, and college football has advanced to a level where these offenses are putting up lots of points every single week. So, Oh, yeah. If, if Alabama we put Ole our, Miss, prime example of Alabama that. Alabama Ole Miss. And just go look at an SEC game for the last two, three years. Right. I mean, the, the scores are in the 40s, high yeah. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. This is the SEC we're talking about. Everybody's like, what's going on with the SEC defenses this year? It, it's not this year. I mean, go look at years past. I mean, it's yeah. it's started to just trickle into you know, what we're seeing today. and We're seeing it in the NFL. I don't know if... COVID has something to do with offensive output, but it sure does seem like it. Like the offenses are, have exploded across the sport of football in both the college and the NFL level. But 
you know, I guess it was unpopular to, to criticize this. I don't understand why it's so hard to look past the box score and to really just put on your thinking cap and, and look at what happened in the first quarter. Yeah. The offense was abysmal. I mean, it, it it was terrible. It was terrible, and it was specifically terrible. Uh, two things that I took umbrage with that I, I feel like many did, you know, but it seems like as as the Hokie fan base moves forward, at least what I'm exposed to on Twitter, it seems like you have half, maybe less than half, of the Twitter fans that no matter what Fuente does, he's going to catch crap for it. No matter what the coaching staff does, they're going to catch crap for it. There are, this is, now that I think about it, much less than half. However, they exist. It's a contingent that's never going to be happy. They're never going to buy into Fuente. They're going to hold grudges. And any little mistake, they're going to find to criticize. And then you have maybe half, maybe, maybe, maybe half, maybe a little less here too, which is the other extreme, which is no matter what the coaches do, no matter how many bad calls they make, they will always find an excuse. They'll reach for any excuse in the book to kind of just wave away any sort of criticisms, valid criticisms of the coaching staff. Now, I'm in the bit in the middle where, you know, I, I'm firmly in the Fuente camp, but at the same time, I'm going to call out mistakes, what I feel like are mistakes when I see them, and I'm not going to dismiss everything um, as part and parcel to the game, which is what it seems like we have. There were two issues that I took umbrage with, and I know you did too, because we've already talked about it. One, the first and foremost, the thing that irritated me the most, Hendon Hooker was good to go before the Duke game. And you can speculate how good to go, what his conditioning was. I don't want to hear any of that because I'm taking the football program at its word when they said he was ready to go for the Duke game. You have Hendon Hooker. He was dressed who in on 2019, the field active. Active. Who, who was the starting quarterback for the bulk of 2019, finished the season firmly entrenched as a starter, played extremely well given the circumstances that he faced, and I don't think there was any question going into the offseason who the Hokies' starting quarterback was. Inner Braxton Burmeister. You start hearing some whispers out of camp. He's pretty good, got a much better arm than we think. With his legs, he's probably the, the fastest quarterback on the team. He's dynamic. Something happens with Hendon. Leads him to not, not start the season as your quarterback. Go to the Duke game. Hendon's ready to go. Hendon can get some playtime. What do we see out of Braxton Burmeister in the Duke game? Well, we saw a 9-for-24 passing outing. Awful. Awful from a passing standpoint. For 163 yards. Nothing in that game, nothing to anyone's eyes that would be watching that game said, Hey, you know what? Maybe we should lean into Braxton a little bit. Maybe this is a two-quarterback system that we're seeing here. Because everybody kind of waving away this criticism is dismissing the fact that Hendon Hooker is a known quantity. He's a known quantity. We saw what he did in 2019. He protects the ball. He can stretch the field vertically. He can make plays with his legs. And he is clearly a better quarterback than Braxton Burmeister from what we saw going into the UNC game. This was known before the UNC game. So what happens come UNC time? We see Braxton again. And what happens to the offense in the beginning of the game? They can't stay on the field. Three and outs have been an issue. Specifically, three and outs that cluster together have been an issue for this Hokie offense, in my opinion, since Fuente got here. 
scratch off the Gerard Evans year because I think I think that was phenomenal year in offense. Offensive output in total has not been an issue for this Hokies football team. That is not a problem. I am not criticizing the overall offensive output. However, I think we have a tendency to string together three and outs, and it really hurts us in some cases. Um, thinking back to the Notre Dame game last year, uh, you know, um, among others. But you could not have scripted a worse start to this offensive game than the one that we had. And even with the worst start we could have imagined offensively, we were still in this football game in the fourth quarter. So I'm sorry. I am going to criticize. And you can say yada, yada, yada. Whenever you put up this X amount of points, the defense, you know, it's, it's only the defense to blame. It's not the offense. Did you not watch the game or are you just reading a box score? Because that's what it comes down to. To me, the decision to not start Hennon Hooker was a bad one. And if you looked at it in a vacuum, you could just kind of wave it off and maybe dis- be dismissive. But pair it with what happened with Ryan Willis at the beginning of last year. The fact that Hendon wasn't starting also, criminal. And we want to give Fuente all the props in the world for being a quarterback whisperer. I have no doubt that the man is talented when it comes to developing quarterbacks. But I will tell you, there's a little bit of concern for me that it's the second season in a row where we've taken it on the chin for poor personnel decisions in that quarterback room. And no, I'm not going to pretend I'm privy to everything that's going on. But Justin, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at the film and say, yeah, the quarterback that you have sitting on the sideline is better than the one that's performing in the game, especially when you look at the Duke game on a whole. So no, I don't understand what was going on with the decision to play uh, Hennon, or not play Hennon Hooker until you know seemingly halfway through the game, at so- least getting him in there in, in consistent reps. Here's kind of the way that I see it with a certain uh, contention of the fan base that makes their opinions heard on on Twitter is, uh, you know, they're just simply afraid of losing Fuente as a follower. That's that's what it is. <laughs> I don't uh, know. They, they don't want to say anything negative because they're afraid that somebody uh, involved with the Virginia Tech football program is going to uh, not take kindly to it and unfollow. Here's the deal. If the coaching staff and Hendon Hooker were in a relationship and they were seeing a therapist, the therapist would tell the Virginia Tech coaching staff, you've got a really, really good partner here. I think it's about time you put a ring on it. I don't understand why this staff continues to hem and haw about committing to Hendon Hooker at the quarterback position. I don't get it, okay? If you tell me not to consider what happened in 2019, I'll tell you to get the hell out of here. Here's what happened (laughs) in 2019. We started the season with Ryan Willis. It almost completely wrecked the entire season. And it (laughs) wasn't until Jerry Kill came in and righted the ship and said, you know what? I think we better take a look at this guy. We didn't even know if Hendon Hooker, his arm worked. We had never seen him throw a football before last season. And he comes out, he goes 6-2. and two. Okay? Yeah, he lost to UVA. Yeah, he, he, we lost the bowl game with him. But you know what? He gives us, week in and week out, the best chance to win football games. And I, I'm, not, I'm not completely anti-Braxton Burmeister. I think he's a no. good athlete. No, no, I no. understand why he started week one. Okay, we the the health issues with Hendon, they were still waiting on some information. I can even see why he started week two. I don't have necessarily a huge issue with either one of those things. What I get concerned about from this coaching staff and 
you can you can tell me that Fuente knows what he's doing, but I, I past behavior tells me to think that maybe he doesn't when you you know what you have in Hidden Hooker. Yeah. You you don't play him at all against Duke. He's dressed, he's on the field. You said in, in practice in the press conference the week before that game that yeah, he's a go. Okay. Well, he's a go means that he can play. He's on right. the field, he's dressed, he can play. He didn't play. Okay. So then you come into this game and you go three and out, three and out. That's not when you put in Hinden Hooker. You then put him in after Burmeister leads a 70-yard touchdown drive. Then you <laughs> right. pull Burmeister, and then you stick Hinden back in. Like, what in the hell is going on on that sideline yeah. from a personal I mean, you remember standpoint? when we talked about the beginning, we were worried about the worst version of two quarterback systems? That, that brought nightmares to me of like UNC with Mark Weiss Williams and Mitch Trubisky, kind of the musical chairs, nonsensical substituting of quarterbacks. And it, it didn't end up being an issue for the rest of the game, but that, that made me shudder because why? At, at that point, it didn't make any sense. Well, you know, it, it would have made perfect sense to see him come in after the first two drives. Pulling him after Burmeister goes down the field on what looked to be his best offensive series of the year. And then sticking Hendon in, and he goes three and out off the bat. And then what happens? You put in Burmeister, and he goes another 77 yards. He had found this groove. He had found this rhythm. So why are you pulling him in and out of the game? I certainly did not have an issue with them going to Hendon to start the second half. I mean, that was that was needed. You know, they they found lightning in the Absolutely. bottle twice in the first half, and it worked. I mean, if you if you look at this, David Teal tweeted this out to break down the quarterback play on Saturday. Burmeister had 36 plays, totaled 186 yards, 5.17 yards per snap, 14 points. Hinden Hooker, 41 plays, 309 yards, 7.5 yards per snap, 31 points on the board. So, again, there was nothing that Burmeister showed you in those first two weeks to think that he was going to be a better option at quarterback than Hinden Hooker. I'm sorry. Right. I don't care right. what excuse you have fabricated in your mind. There is no way you can say Hendon Hooker and what he did in 2019 does not give us a better chance to win than what Braxton Burmeister has showed what he can do from a starting quarterback standpoint. I agree. There, and that's, there's just, that's there's what no, I can't get over. I don't know how you can what fabricate better, that point. What better beta test than, an, than almost an entire season to prove what you're worth and if you're the man or not. And it was a resounding, I am the man. I am the leader of this football team. The leader of this football team. And that's the part that I just can't make friends with in my head. And I know you feel the same way. Obviously, everyone feels the same way. We've got, I don't ever want to call someone a Heisman Trophy candidate, but as close to a Heisman Trophy candidate as we've had quite some time Since in the Michael backfield. In Khalil Herbert. Yeah. And Justin, how many times did he touch the ball in the first half? Well, in the first quarter, Tim, he touched the ball one time. and That's insanity. Fuente had a comment. Well, you know, we're not going to be able to get him the ball if we keep going three and out. Well, maybe. That makes no coach, sense. If you give him the football, you're not going three and out. Because What's the correlation there? The football. Tell me what the correlation is. If you, if you handed the ball off, maybe you wouldn't have gone three and out. And like, now, I don't understand. 
I'm not going to say I know. Cornelson and Fuente have forgotten more about football than I will ever know in my life. Well, here, here's what, here's, here's the deal with it for me, Tim. I don't want to get into questioning every single play call, and that's not what I'm doing. No. But when no. you make it's a game plan issue for me about well, we're going three and out. That's why he wasn't getting it. Well, he wasn't getting the ball. So, answer that. Why wasn't he getting the football? That's my question. Yeah. I don't care and to, what and to play me, you're drawing up for him. Why was he not in the game plan with the way that yeah. you were calling the game in the first quarter? Yeah, and, and, and that—that's what I can't that was figure my question. out. It, this, this was the easiest game plan in the history of hokey football to write. Start the correct quarterback, which, given what we knew about Hendon, should have been a, a layup, finger roll, and hand the ball to Khalil Herbert. I just wrote you an infallible game plan. And for some reason, that didn't happen. Now, I also want to make a clarification here. I can criticize this coaching staff and not want them fired and not want to say anything else bad about them. I am still firmly in Fuente's camp. I think Fuente's a good head coach. Make no mistake about it. But I don't know who he, he needs to hear this. Because the, the Twitter back and forth was so toxic this weekend. Because as soon as there was any criticism, you were shouted down from the rafters. By every everybody on Twitter. Oh, the, def- the offense, it's their fault that they're down 35-14. Right. Well, I got to tell you, right. when it's third and four at midfield right before the end of the first half, and you throw oh two passes, and you don't run the football one time, and you knew you were going to go yep. for it on fourth down because you only gained one yard on the third down. And then four plays later, North Carolina's in the end zone. Again, the defense could not stop North Carolina. So right. from an offensive standpoint, you have got to put your defense in the best position to get on and off the football field. Okay, so that does not mean turning the ball over at midfield. And for the record, I agree for the decision to go for it there on fourth down. I just didn't like how they called the two plays because it didn't. Virginia Tech's offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the country. They've got the nation's leading rusher. And again, you refuse to put the ball in his hands twice to get four yards. You can't explain it's it. It's crazy. Me. You it's can't crazy. explain it to me. And these and, are issues. These types of play calling issues have been issues. And for the people that are shouting down criticism, people have been criticizing Cornelson for this for a long time. And I hear it. I understand it. No, criticism does not make one a bad coach. So don't think what I'm saying about Fuente and what I'm saying about Cornelson means I think they're bad coaches. However, I think it's important to be able to look at things critically. And those things I did not like. And I have many critical thoughts about the defense. But they were in a tougher situation. And, you know, what are you going to do? We got to point out the faults on both sides of the ball here. And to pretend that there was nothing wrong on that offensive side of the ball, it's crazy to me. If you extend maybe one or two of those drives in the beginning of the game, could have been a different ball game. Again, we were within one touchdown. Late in the game, we were within the wheels fell off. It was right. forty-two the thirty-seven one point in the football game. But don't tell me, even one more score in the beginning of that game wouldn't have potentially made a difference. 
It's important to understand that offense and defense go hand in hand. The defense can hurt the offense. The offense can hurt the defense. And I don't think the offense did anything to help the defense until the game was already out of hand. And you can't lay that at the feet of the defense 100% because both sides contributed. And I will say, just shout out to the defense, why we were in a one-high safety at the end of half. Because I think that touchdown lost the game. I think that touchdown lost the game right before half. I think that was just a backbreaker. Why we're in a one-high safety, I have no idea. I mean, worst case scenario, you have to go into the locker room down 14 there. You've You've done some work to get back into the football game. You know, they had to punt the ball twice to you. You know, you've scored two touchdowns. You know, best case scenario, Brian Brian Johnson attempts a 60-yard field goal. He probably hits it because the dude's got, yeah. you know, a crazy leg. But range we like Pedro we, we didn't even get to that point. And then instead of being down 7, 11, 14, you're down 21. That's a big difference. Yeah. So I'll say yeah. this about the quarterback situation and then I'll move on. You know, I don't want to make it sound like I don't like Braxton Burmeister because I, I think no. he's a great athlete. I think he brings a certain dimension to this offense that – you know, can be used, but I want to see him in the slot. He needs to be used more strategically. And what do I mean by that? I mean, go look at what the New Orleans Saints do with yeah. Taysom Hill. Good point. He's, he's not coming in and starting drives. He's not taking snap play after play after play. He's coming in at certain packages to where he can either line up as a receiver, he can be a runner, or he can even throw a pass. I mean, Taysom Hill comes in and will take over in the red zone for Drew Brees because they're that right. confident in his ability. Use Braxton Burmeister that way. I would have no issue with that. The whole rotating quarterbacks in and out each series Bad. or a series here and there, that's Bad. that's just not going to work. No. Okay? It's, it's novice It's all football. about patching it up and using the guys and their abilities in the best way possible. And I, I certainly think Burmeister can make a difference for Virginia Tech this year. But right now, he's more of the mashed potatoes, and Hinden Hooker is the turkey. Okay? Yeah. And, he's the and, main course. He's the guy who makes this offense go, and Burmeister can be an element of it. I'm not saying he can't, but too much Braxton Burmeister, and the offense is a below-average offense at best. And we, we've yeah. seen that now. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go ahead and, you know, you pulled out some good stats, I think. Speaking of Braxton versus Hendon, I think these are the most telling stats you could ever get. They had an almost even breakdown of plays. 41 for Hendon, 36 for Braxton. 186 yards for Braxton, 309 yards for Hendon Hooker. 31 points to 14 points. 7.5 yards to 5 yards per snap. It is clear as day who the quarterback is. And and that is, that is not putting down Braxton Burmeister. I think we all forgot how much of one hell of a quarterback Hendon Hooker is. Hendon Hooker is a damn fine quarterback. I don't know if we forgot or what happened, um, but make no mistake, he, he put his imprint on the game. And to me, when you're taking out positives from the game, getting to see Hendon play the way he did in that second half gets me fired up to see some hokey offense this year. Because... Knowing Cornelson, we're going to put up big-time points. And I'm excited to see what Hendon can do now with a weapon like Khalil Herbert in the backfield if we use them correctly. And I have all the faith in the world we're going to. And I mean, 
I I have no issue with the offense in the second half. I thought the offense in the second half was great. Really should have had five touchdowns. You know, Trey Turner had the uh, illegal motion, and then you know after that play, if Hendon makes puts a better throw onto Nick Gallo, he walks into the end zone. So I mean, sure. You know, we had to settle for a fifty-five yard field goal there, but you know, the end of the day, like this this offense is very good. I just again, I was just very frustrated with how it was handled in the first half, mostly from a personnel standpoint. But yeah. I mean that that being what it is, you know, I, I think we're gonna see mostly Hendon Hooker and, you know, hopefully we we do see some packages, not just with Burmeister, but I think Quincy Patterson can also come in and, oh, and make a difference in certain sets. So I mean you have these guys. Don't be afraid to use them. You just gotta use them when their abilities can really kind of take you over the hump, get you to the next level. And I Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hold the offense to a higher standard than what I saw in the first half because I think this offense's ability, it's one of the best offenses I've seen a Virginia Tech football team have. No doubt. It has potential to be an elite college offense. I mean, with Virginia Tech, they go 38-45-45 or 45-38-45 in points scored this year on offense. Yeah, crazy. Insane. We're not used to that. No. But there's still room for improvement. Right. That's all yeah, we're saying. and that's that's the frustrating part, but that's also the encouraging part. We're not putting all the pieces together yet; nowhere close. But you can see this thing kind of building up to a head here, where if if you're not excited, you need to check your pulse, because the stars are aligning in a way for an, a hokey offense like we've never seen. We've never had the collection of offensive linemen that we have right now. I mean, Darius working his way into a first round pick based on what he's done this year. Incredible. But it's not just Darisol. Everybody on that offensive line is giving so much on a week-to-week basis to help that team win. And we're coupling it with one of the better quarterbacks we've had in recent memory, in my opinion, and probably the best tailback we've had in, what, since since Wilson? Oh, I mean, at least. At least. And I mean, that's, let's let's end it here. Give Khalil Herbert the football. Yeah, thank you. Just Boom. please, please. On to the next next opponent. I mean, three straight games over 100 yards rushing. You know, I fully expect him to get over 100 again uh, against Boston College, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So let's, Um, I feel like we've talked about this game long enough. Yeah, um, yeah, we have. Let's jump into the week five ACC recap here. And so we'll run through some of these games real quick. Georgia Tech 46, Louisville 27. Uh, you know, kind of a surprise here. This is really the Louisville we expected last season. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, they blew a 21-7 lead. Uh, they just couldn't hold on to the football. I mean, four fumbles on the day, lost three of them. Uh, you know, Malik Cunningham looked pretty good. He had a solid day. It just wasn't enough. Jeff Sims also looked really good. Most most importantly, he was holding on to the football. Uh, three total touchdowns for him. GT had four rushing touchdowns from four different players in this game, and you know they got the win. They just they put the hammer on the Louisville in the fourth quarter, and uh, there was no looking back. So Louisville is now one and three, and uh, you know they're still I think a dangerous team in the ACC uh, just because of what their offense can do. But um, you know this defense is a liability, and they've had some turnover issues as well. So there's there's some work to do. Um, for, for Satterfield and company there. Yeah, it's it's surprising to me in the sense that, you know, it just flies in the face kind of what we saw last year, especially when you talk about explosion. 
Um, now Hawkins is always going to get him. I, I can't say enough good things or always get his. I can't say enough good things about JV and Hawkins, man. That guy is lightning in a bottle. Um, but you spelled it out as far as it goes. I mean, turnovers are killing these guys, killing them. Um, and you know, they, they kept down the interceptions, which I thought was great, but at the same time, they're going to have to get more from this offense. And you look at all the playmakers, you know, with Tutu Atwell, Hawkins, Cunningham, they, they got to be playing better than this. Um, you know, they got to be playing better. I just, I can't believe that we are seeing the Louisville we expected to see last year, this year, and kind of wondering what the hell happened to Louisville last year. Where did they go? I'm, I'm, I'm still expecting next week for this Louisville team to put it together. And with this defense, I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I think the Louisville last year was not far away from being what we're seeing this year because that defense is such a liability. It's just not all clicking for them this year. So I think when your defense is that bad, that's what can happen. So um, yeah. I'm not stunned by what we're seeing. Like I, I wasn't as high on Louisville coming into the season as it seemed like the media was just because – Oh man. Everybody knew what to expect with Louisville this season. Last year, yeah. really caught everybody off guard a little bit. So I, I think there was yeah. that piece to it as well. Yeah, I drank, uh, I drank the Cardinal Kool-Aid. Partly my fault. Yeah. Well, you know, you love Kool-Aid. So uh, NC State 38, UVA 21. UVA just Woo! couldn't run the football. 29 carries, 82 yards. You know, it, it seems to be turning into what, what happened last year. And, and Brennan Armstrong, basically their best runner, left hurt. Uh, after he was hit in the head, targeting penalty, uh, left with a concussion. He was 6 for 9, 57 yards. He had already thrown two picks at that point. Lindell Stone came in, threw three touchdowns, but came in late, got a lot of points when the game was really in hand. Devin Leary had a good, not great day. Uh, the rushing rushing attack was pretty good here. Bam Knight with 101 and two touchdowns on the ground. But the takeaway here is NC State, they're a good football team. And yeah. pretty much dominated UVA for the entirety of the game, which, um, you know, it was it was a little bit surprising to see how how badly they just kind of manhandled UVA in this one. Yeah, it, it was impressive. Um, UVA, you know, everybody was throwing Steve Young comparisons to Brendan Armstrong, and yeah, he looked more like Stephen Rivers uh, than he did uh, Steve Young, and and. He just he, the thing that's going to get him all year is going to be those turnovers, just some crazy bad throws. Um, you know, the guy obviously athletic; he can do a lot on the ground that Perkins can do, maybe not to the same degree. Um, but NC State's defense, you know, got punched in the mouth versus Virginia Tech. It r- really didn't look too great. You know, Pitt obviously put a lot of points. Wake Forest, tough, tough road to hoe for them, and they come out of this looking really, really good. I don't know if that says more about NC State's defense or more about UVA's offense or lack thereof, but I will say the playmaking ability of NC State's defense kind of jumped off uh, the screen at you when you were watching. Devin Leary played a good game, made enough plays to get NC State the points it needed to win, but the playmaking of uh, Pierre-Louis, freshman, NC State getting a pick, Aleem McNeil batting a ball, getting an interception and a pick six, one of probably going to be the best plays of any D lineman makes in the ACC all year. Um, it really warmed my heart to see NC State beat UVA. And there's something special, something so nice about a team that Virginia Tech completely trounced in NC State. Beat UVA. After all those UVA fans belittled that win because it was against lowly NC State. So, guys, got to watch what you say. 
Yeah, and UVA's in, uh, they're in a pretty critical moment this week against Wake, and we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Uh, Clemson 42, Miami 17. The Canes didn't score an offensive touchdown until midway through the fourth quarter here, and that was a De'Aaron King touchdown run. Their uh, touchdown in the first half was on a block 61-yard field goal attempt. Uh, Clemson tried to get cute there, I think. Their kicker had no chance of making that. Um, but Clemson just dominated the game. Held Miami to yeah. 210 yards, 89 on the ground, 121 passing. You know, Cameron Harris, eight carries, three yards. You know, King Ow. threw two picks. You know, Trevor Lawrence, dominant, 292, three touchdowns. ETN still looks like the most dynamic back in the country, 149 on the ground, 73 through the air, two scores. Clemson D finished with five sacks, 11 tackles for loss, and two hurries. Brent Venables, man. Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. And Miami, surprising. The most surprising thing to me was eight rushes for three yards for Cameron Harris. Who would have seen that coming? Yeah. As well as Cameron had been running the ball. And, you know, Shut the down. whole, the, the Miami, the Miami offense as a whole could not do a damn thing against offensive Clemson. Offensive line got that, dominated. That was, that was an offensive yeah. line that we saw last year. Right. And you're, you're talking about a Clemson team that has a bunch of new faces on defense. And Brent Venables has that, that defense like a machine year in and year out. It's the most impressive part of Clemson to me is the consistency they're able to generate on defense, even with personnel changing, guys going to the draft. Now, granted, they recruit like wildfire. I understand that. But go look at Texas and tell me how they're doing on defense. Guys that recruit similarly to Clemson. Recruiting isn't the be-all, end-all. And I just think when you have a guy like Venables who proves himself so many times in games like this, you just, you can't. he's invaluable to that staff. He's as much attributable to Clemson's success as Debo is. And, and to me, super impressive win. Although I'm going to have to get off the Miami hype train now because this was just, it was a poor performance, man. There's, there's no way to slice it. You, you take off a special teams touchdown and um, we're left with a 10 to 42 score with one touchdown coming in the fourth quarter. Real, real bad if you were uh, like me thinking Miami was, was going to give Clemson all they could handle. BC 31, Pitt 30. Pitt's kicker, Alex Kessman, goes from hero to zero. Kicks a 58-yarder, the end of regulation, to send this game into overtime. He then misses the extra point to lose in overtime, 31-30. Second one-point loss in a row for Pitt. So Narduzzi, I, I would have hated to have been in that locker room if I were a Pitt player. <laughs> Um, And just if you're the kicker and have to look Narduzzi in the eye, I mean, I I imagine that'll stay with you for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Pitt really offensively, uh, not great. You know, 4.1 yards per play, 4 for 18 on third down, 3 for 4 on fourth down for what that's worth. Uh, Phil Dracovic had a big day, 19 to 35, 358, three touchdowns. David Bailey with the season high, 15 carries, only 36 yards. You know, the Pitt D has been just absolutely absurd against the run this year, which I think makes them a sleeper pick against Miami this week. But very vulnerable against the pass. And, you know, BC finished with 30 yards rushing, 41 attempts, uh, largely because Djokovic was sacked six times. Otherwise, the two backs combined for 72 yards and 29 carries. But, um, you know, we we had the question, is, is the Pitt offense good enough to carry this team? And, you know, it's it's not. So, um, really, Pitt was lucky to, to be in overtime considering how this game went. Boston College really kind of let Pitt back into the game, had five pass interference penalties throughout this game. Jeez. Um, so, a little bit sloppy there from BC, but they hold on, get the win, and they're 3-1. and one. 
Yeah, and Pitt continues to be so great against the run, but you know that pass defense that we thought was a strength too with Ford and Pinnock just has been getting passed on past two games. Uh, Leary and Jerkovic just, I mean, made mincemeat of that secondary, and that's got to worry you if you're a Pitt fan because your team can only hold the gate so long against a a, a single-minded rushing attack football. But you know, you, you throw in a balanced offense, or hell, if we're looking at Boston College, a pass-happy offense. It's going to spell trouble all year. And, you know, as you mentioned, we always say, what are we going to get out of Kenny Pickett? Uh, that's going to kind of determine where Pitt goes. But the biggest issue for Pitt now is they got to find a run game to complement that defense. And I just, as we go farther and farther into the season, I'm losing hope. And, you know, you, you kind of got to look at Pitt a little bit funny now after two straight ACC losses. Notre Dame 42, FSU 26. Jordan Travis got his first start of the season and played pretty well, 204 yards passing, one touchdown, one pick, out of 96 on the ground. FSU was actually leading this game 17-14 in the first quarter and then got outscored 28-9 the rest of the way. So Notre Dame finished with 353 yards rushing on 42 attempts. Uh, you're just not going to win football games if you give up over 300 yards on the ground. And that seems to be a trend this year. Virginia Tech's done it twice. They're 2-0. UNC did it against Virginia Tech. They won, and Notre Dame did it here. And, you know, the the next game, Duke 38, Syracuse 24, uh, you know, just completely dominant. I think Duke had over 300 yards rushing on the ground. Deion Jackson 169, Mateo Durant 163. And uh, I guess bad news for Syracuse, Tommy DeVito looks like he's going to be out for the season after leaving the game with a leg injury. Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, that... that... Not that he was giving a ton to begin with, but he he battled through a lot and, and not a great offensive line, taking a lot of licks. You know, and in the Notre Dame FSU game, I think they've really found something. And Jordan Travis, um, you know, just, just worth pointing out, Jordan Travis had almost 100 yards on the ground, 200 through the air, as you mentioned. Looked real good. But the guy that I kind of feel bad for lost in the shuffle is Tamari on Terry. Um, you know, was injured during the game, but had nine receptions for 146 yards, a touchdown. One of the best wide receivers in the ACC that cannot seem to get consistency out of the quarterback position. But he's a guy who who I have really, really high hopes on as far as success goes at the next level. I think he's one of the most dynamic playmakers on the edge in college football. And it's just a shame that he hasn't exactly been able to showcase that ability week in and week out. So let's go ahead and jump into the Virginia Tech-Boston College preview. Uh, number 23, Virginia Tech, 8 p.m. Eastern, ACC Network. Hokies are an 11.5-point favorite. Some good news for the Hokies. It sounds like more of the secondary is going to be returning, uh, most notably Divine Diablo. Uh, the guys that returned last week, hopefully they've got uh, a little bit more practice under their belts. They have plenty to address in practice this week. More good news is Boston College doesn't focus on the run. You know, they, uh, they, they've they got an offensive line that's pretty much intact from last season. They've got a bunch of guys who have switched positions, and it's just a group that has not played up to its potential this year. And, you know, running the football has been a weakness for them, only averaging 60 yards per game on the ground. David Bailey's a guy, 48 carries on the season, 148. If you had told us that through four games, we would have just looked oh, yeah. at you like, like you were crazy. That's um, crazy. He's the team's leading rusher, but really what makes this team go is, uh, or this offense go, I should say, is Phil Dracovic, uh, the four-star dual threat transfer from Notre Dame. He's played well, you know, 61% of his passes complete, eight TDs, two touchdowns. 
Um, for you QBR nuts out there, uh, he's 68.2 rated, uh, which is good for about 30th in the country, 7th in the ACC. Uh, right. So just to kind of give you a comparison, I think, from a level of competition that you're going up against here, you know, Trevor Lawrence is tops in the ACC at 88.5. Then you got Devin Leary, who's at 84, Derek King at 78.3. And then guys like Sam Howell, Ian Book, Jordan Travis are ahead of Dracovic at this point. But uh, if you're wondering where the Hokie quarterbacks are, Hendon Hooker uh, has not played enough to qualify yet. Uh, Burmeister has put up a QBR of 39.5, uh, so not great. If you look at QBR, nope. you wonder what the hell I'm talking about. It's a 0 to 100 scale. So 50 really represents the true middle point. Anything above 50 is really an above-average quarterback. Closer to 100 is the closer to elite that you are. Um, and for reference, Hooker's QBR against North Carolina was 81.9, which also happened to be his third highest QBR rating ever. So um, good news for the Hokies there. I think, Tim, you know, long story short, Jakovic, solid quarterback, uh, up and down offensive line. Um, Eagles are 3-1, and one, beat Duke 26-6 in their opener, a game where Duke had five turnovers, mostly fumbles. They had that kind of crazy come-from-behind win against Texas State. Uh, where uh, Dracovic had to lead a late comeback and then uh, kicked a field goal with three seconds left to win. Lost by four to North Carolina, um, and then are coming off of that crazy uh, overtime win against Pitt. So certainly a team that comes out and competes. I think it's uh, certainly an opponent capable of beating Virginia Tech. Um, I certainly think Virginia Tech has more talent on both sides of the football. But uh, before we jump in, what to watch for? Any uh, any notes you want to get in here on the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, just surprising. I mean, we're dealing with a mirror image of what the Eagles typically are, which is a run-first team. You know, we're dealing now with a pass-first team, which can't seem to get what I think is a really good running back going. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at matchups, it's a tough matchup for the Hokies, uh, you know, especially if we see similar attrition to what we saw the week before. In the secondary, this is a team in Boston College that is certainly going to stress that uh, passing as far as volume goes of the Allen Iverson of passing offenses, just throwing balls left and right. And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see such a different Boston College team going up against the Hokies. So as far as things to watch for, the first thing I'm looking at, Tim, is the hangover effect uh, from the North Carolina game. So, you know, Virginia Tech had expectations of beating Boston College last year fell short in the season opener that was really kind of the beginning of the end for for Ryan Willis and company they're coming off a loss to North Carolina but a game where you felt pretty good about the effort pretty good about the team overall if you kind of put into perspective the COVID situation and the impact that that's had specifically on the defensive side of the ball you know there, there's some other things in there that are cause for concern but hopefully they're addressed in practice this week and you know BC is not the level of offensive opponent that UNC is no. Um, so, you know, we'll see kind of what happens from there. And, you know, from the sounds of it, it feels like this team has moved on uh, from that UNC loss and they're focused on BC. So I'd be stunned if they came out flat in this one. But, um, you know, it is it is something to look for just to see, you know, you know, the old saying, you don't don't let don't let the team that beat you beat you twice. Yeah. And, and you know, not different season, different scenario. But I think this coaching staff has historically proven that they can get a lot out of the team after a bad loss. 
no hanging of heads, typically great effort. And I expect to see more of the same against Boston College. You know, this is a coaching staff that knows how to get these guys motivated, that knows how to pick them up when they've been knocked down. And yeah, I expect nothing different this week. The next thing I'm looking at here is Virginia Tech's defensive front. So, you know, this unit has to play better in order to win consistently in the ACC. And Virginia Tech has an offense this year. It's going to put up points, but the front six has to be better. And I don't care who's missing in your secondary. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, They've got to get back on track this week. And, you know, I, it sounds like maybe Deshaun Crawford is going to be ready to go. He's been battling through an injury, so that'll be a nice little boost to the defensive line rotation. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think more practice will help. I think, you know, being able to play and work out is going to help. Um, and so that should certainly help with the, the tackling and, and things like that that we were seeing uh, missed on the football field. I think the, the other thing that I want to see from this defensive front is how are they able to kind of attack this Boston College offensive line? You know, I said earlier, it's an experienced group, uh, but it just hasn't lived up to expectations so far this season. They've allowed 17 sacks, which is good for 13th in the conference. And they gave up six last week against Pitt. So it's a team. They've got four returning starters from last year. They've all kind of rotated positions, which I think may be uh, contributing to some of the uh, underperformance that we've seen. Um, And it's a group that just isn't being able to run the football. So we'll talk about rushing attack next. But anything from that defensive front, Tim, that, uh, that you're looking for? Yeah, I just want to see him with a pulse again. You know, I think it was so shocking to see how poorly they performed against UNC, especially as, as you know, we kind of highlighted them, not necessarily their production as far as limiting yards go, but their production and getting sacks, making plays that change the game. I, those impact plays, those sacks are what I'm going to be looking to see uh, up against BC because obviously uh, they have an offensive line that can be porous at times, even though there's experience, they they haven't really done well this year. And it's it's a defensive line that we can, or an offensive line that our defensive line can take advantage of. And I expect to see havoc again this week. And you know, after we took a week off last week, it would be comforting to see that hey, you know, uh, last week was was kind of a mirage in a way. And and this is the hokey defense that you're going to get to see for the rest of the year. And you know, that's that playmaking Saxburg style defense we all grew to love. Next thing I'm looking at is the rushing attack. So you've got the ACC's best and worst rushing attack going head-to-head, at least on a yards-per-game average here. So BC, a team not focusing on running the football, but after last week's game against North Carolina uh, that the Hokies had, I'd be surprised if you know there's not an increased focus in some facet from Boston College in the run game. So um, they've certainly got a banger in David Bailey. He's just been underutilized this season. Um, I think being able to run the football should certainly be able to help them in the pass game. And um, from a Virginia Tech standpoint, let's see what Khalil Herbert can do against BC this year, this time in a Hokies uniform, you know? Everyone pointed to his performance, you know, as he was transferring from Kansas to Virginia Tech and what he did against BC. So I'm sure he's been looking forward to this game. Um, You know, he had 11 carries for 187 and a touchdown last year against against BC. Uh, that's 17 yards per carry for you math whizzes at home. Um, but, you know, one thing to look at, too, is this this BC defensive front is, is solid. It's not bad. You know, they've got a pretty good defensive end in Marcus Valdez. He's rated the sixth best pass rusher in the ACC by pro football focus. But at the end of the day, this is a Virginia Tech offensive line that is elite. 
So I think the Hokies should be able to run the ball effectively here. Uh, UNC got 176 against this group earlier this season, so I certainly think the Hokies can uh, potentially hit that 200-plus mark again for the fourth fourth consecutive game. And I don't know when the last time a Virginia Tech running back ran for 100 yards in four straight games, but I think we may be finding that out after Khalil Herbert does it this weekend. Yeah, if he maintains his health, I think he's got a fantastic shot at getting that. And I have no doubt, you know, especially like you mentioned, that game against Boston College with Kansas, that highlight reel is insane. Uh, and, you know, that was always kind of what you cited when we talked about potential with Khalil Herbert in the offseason was, yeah, well, look at this one game against Boston College. So we'll see if he can do it again. I have all the faith in the world that behind those maulers on that offensive line, he'll get it done. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to watch Khalil Herbert run the same as I was the week before and the same as I was the week before that. So, you know, just consider ourselves blessed that we get to see such a good tailback in action. You know, the BC X factor in this game, I think it's going to be Zay Flowers. You know, Flowers and uh, tight end Hunter Long. They've combined for 83 targets this season. Uh, Long already has 31 catches. So he's he's a weapon in the pass game. He's not a guy who is going to, you know, light you up. He's more of kind of a, you know, possession type of tight end. Um, you know, good for first downs and things like that. Flowers is the, the big play guy. and He really kind of splits his time between slot um, and out wide and just a super dynamic talent. Um, I'd also look to see what he does in the run game. You know, this is a guy who had 27 rushing attempts last season. Um, he hasn't had as many opportunities this year. He's only up to four. But, you know, I think it's absurd to think BC doesn't try to do something on the ground in this game. And I think how do they utilize Flowers is going to be a big part of what they try to do to keep Virginia Tech's defense off balance. And, um, you know, he's really kind of the Raheem Blackshear of this offense, except BC's utilizing him a little bit better than Virginia Tech has Blackshear at this point. Yeah, Zay is one of those guys. I'm glad you highlighted him. Obviously, if you're looking at their offense, that's the playmaker you circle. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the tight end, real effective, a lot of targets, but Zay is the guy that takes the top off the defense, you know, and he's one of those guys where it's either feast or famine, like two games this year, over 160 yards, two games under 61 yards. So you're either going to get a huge game from him or he's going to be fairly quiet. And if Virginia Tech can make sure that it's one of those famine games for him, um, we should be okay in the end. But if you're talking about another one of those games where he goes for 160-plus with multiple touchdowns, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, So limiting Zay the best we can, given what could be, again, uh, another patchwork secondary, is something that you're going to need to keep an eye on. So, Tim, what is, uh, what's your prediction for this game? The, predi- the more I look at this, the more I think we are going to come out and make a statement. I, I feel like... Virginia Tech's going to be itching, chomping at the bit to get back onto the field after they were embarrassed against UNC, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You know, there's a lot of guys with pride on that side of the ball, and they're not going to like the way that that box score looked when they look at it and how that felt to get beaten in the manner that they did. And, you know, I think going up against Boston College may give them a chance to to really prove that they can be an extremely good defense. Boston College, not an easy matchup, but not UNC at the same time. Um, so I expect some points to be scored for Boston College, maybe to the tune of 24 points, but I expect Virginia Tech to put up 41 points. Yeah, you know, I think BC has a very UVA feel to them this year. Uh, you know, Dracovic is a guy, he's accounted for 1,183 of their 1,422 total yards. So if he struggles, 
it's going to be very difficult for BC to win this game. Um, you know, I think the offensive line is a question for BC. Um, you know, I think this Hokies defensive front has some work to do, so I certainly don't think they're going to dominate in this one. Uh, but I do think we'll see them start to get back on track here. So uh, I don't think Virginia Tech being able to score is going to be that big of a problem. They've put up at least 38 points in every game this season, and you know I think they'll have a similar number here. I certainly think Hendon Hooker being a quarterback is is going to uh, be a game changer for for this offense as a whole and throughout the game. Um, and I'm really excited to see what Khalil Herbert can do uh, in a Virginia Tech uniform against BC. And you know I just I just hope hope Herbert keeps getting fed like he needs to be fed. 20 plus carries is what this guy needs. Um, hopefully Virginia Tech does that. I've got the Hokies winning 41-30. I think they pretty much have this game in control uh, the whole way through, but, um, you know, BC will just kind of linger throughout the game. Yeah, yeah, we need to get Khalil one of those feed me tattoos across his belly like uh, Ezekiel Elliott has. Yeah, just a better artwork job. I think that would be important. Please, please. So, you know, week six in the ACC, we've got Clemson at Georgia Tech. Tigers, a 27-point favorite. Pitt at Miami's a big one. Um, Liberty at Syracuse. I thought this was interesting. Liberty yeah. is a three-and-a-half-point favorite heading up yeah. to uh, old Syracuse, New York. Pretty stingy defense there, giving up 155 through the air, 104 on the ground. I'm highlighting this because Virginia Tech plays Liberty. Uh, in a few weeks here, um, but important game for Syracuse to win. If not, I mean, they're not going to win another game for the rest of the year. You've yeah. got uh, yeah. Louisville at number four, Notre Dame, Duke at NC State, UVA at Wake, UNC at FSU. What are what are you most excited to see here? Well, a lot of people don't realize Duke and NC State used to be a fairly good rivalry game when they played on a yearly basis. Now they hardly meet, so it's kind of neat to say, is you know, we got NC State and Duke going at it. Um, UVA and Wake, I'm super intrigued in because I think Wake has a sneaky chance in this game. Um, obviously, UVA only a three-point favorite, but I think, you know, Wake's not going to have a lot of chances at ACC wins this year. This is one of them, um, and and we're going to see uh, what we have going on from UVA. We're going to get to find out, uh, you know, is Armstrong going to start? Is he not going to start? That means Mr. Stone's going to be taking the first-team reps if Armstrong can't go, um, and Stone wears, I think, 36 so if you want to tune in just for a weird-looking quarterback, he's kind of a pudgy 36. You know, he's got a Jerome Bettis body and a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a weak arm, which may not sound like I'm selling you much on his ability, but he's actually a sneaky good quarterback uh, for, you know, all things considered, uh, a Texas kid, and you know how hard-nosed those guys can be. But um, that's one I, that, of all the other games, um, you know, it's not going to be the best game, but I think it'll be extremely competitive. And uh, yeah, UVA now in a position where they really need to come back with a good answer um, with a Clemson loss that can be excused and one against NC State that really can't. So, um, you know, you're looking at three uh, losses potentially for UVA, and that's a hole they don't want to go into. Yeah, I certainly think uh, no Brennan Armstrong is is going to prove to be difficult for this team because they do become so one-dimensional without him uh, because they can't run the football. So, um, Stone is certainly more of a pocket passer. I think that gives Wake the edge in this one. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. You know, FSU gave up 358 to Notre Dame last week. UNC coming off a 399 rushing performance against Virginia Tech. So, you know, how many yards can the Tar Heels go for when they're on the road in Tallahassee? And then you've got that Sam Howell, you know, uh, 
opting out of FSU to go to North Carolina element. Um, you know, the other game I'm interested in, Tim, is this Pitt at Miami game. You know, yeah. Canes, they're a 10.5-point favorite. Um, it's an interesting matchup because Pitt has been pretty vulnerable through the air this season. You know, they're giving up 211 yards per game, but 358 against BC and 336 against NC State. Miami doesn't have the high-powered aerial attack as those teams, and they're really a team that relies mostly on the run, which I think really sets up well for Pitt. Um, you know, no Louisville is probably the best comparison to a team similar to Miami that Pitt has played this season, and Pitt absolutely dominated in that game. They dominated uh, Malik Cunningham, and that was the Javion Hawkins stat line of 13 carries for 78 yards with a touchdown but he had a 75 yard touchdown run so um that's going to be interesting to see and can they get Cameron Harris on track you know with the eight carries and three yards against Clemson it's a I think that's a sneaky tough matchup for Miami and that's going to lead me into our doing lines segment Tim and uh Pitt plus 10 and a half uh is my first pick of the week going up against Miami so yeah, I'll just mirror you there. That was the first pick that jumped off the page to me. Anytime you can take a defense uh, going up on, on a team that's going to try and you know a run first defense against a team that's going to try out and establish the run with Cameron Harris, and you get ten points to do it, that's a deal I can't turn down. So I'm going pit plus ten on Miami as well. Uh, the next one I like is uh, you know we talked about this game as well. I'm going to take Wake plus three against you against you against UVA against UVA. UVA. I'm leaning towards picking Wake on the money line to to, to win this one um, just because of the quarterback situation. And, you know, Wake's had a little bit of a layoff, so I'm a little bit worried about that. They've really only played uh, one game since September 19th. Um, but they look crisp against Campbell, and uh, UVA hasn't looked super great the last couple of weeks. So uh, I'm going to take Wake plus three. The fighting Mike Minners down there in Bowie, Bowie's Creek, North, North Carolina. I used to go to basketball camp at Campbell. So shout out to the Fighting Camels. That school will always be special to me. Um, but yeah, and, and just to shout them out, their football program played a lot better this year than I had anticipated they would, um, especially against teams like Coastal Carolina. I really thought they put up a good fight. So shout out to them. Um, my next pick is going to be NC State minus four and a half versus Duke. I imagine this is one that you're going to be interested in the action on as well, because I think that's just when you talk about an offense that really has potential to be explosive, to me, that's NC State. When Devin Leary's on his game, you know, see the pit game, uh, he can be really dangerous, especially when you talk about playmakers like Kerry Angeline and Mecca Mezzi that NC State has against a Duke team that's been pretty underwhelming. Um, and the matchup is good for me in the sense that I don't think their offense is enough to overwhelm what is kind of a sketchy NC State defense. So I'm going to take NC State minus four and a half versus Duke. I've got the same. I uh, I looked at that, and again, like I really loved that Louisville spread last week and got burned by it, but I don't see how there's any way possible I'm getting burned by this with how Duke and uh, NC State have been playing football this year. So uh, I am taking that one as well. What is your final pick of the ACC this week? Getting burned by Louisville spreads, you say? I'm in. Give me Louisville plus 17 versus Notre Dame. That Louisville that we saw last year is in there, just Justin. They're just they're in there. I know they are. I can hear them, and eventually they're going to show up on tape this year. And I'm thinking this might be the game where they play Notre Dame close, and we see what is you know an offense full of playmakers finally live up to the potential 
and get some points because obviously if they are to compete in this game, it's going to be a shootout. I have zero faith in that Louisville defense, but I'm going to take them with the points plus 17 versus Notre Dame. And what's your random pick of the week? You know, I'm a sucker for good SEC matchups, especially when they involve Georgia. As I, you know, spent some time in high school in Gainesville, Georgia. I love Bulldog fans. I love their passion. Um, It's really hard to quantify. Uh, You know, as Hokie fans, we kind of know what passion is all about. But that SEC is serious business. And I think Georgia's got one of the best defenses in college football this year. Bama, obviously, is always going to be good. They're always going to be a threat offensively. They've looked good this year. Uh, Downfield playmaking has looked really solid. And I think plus six to me was just too much for me not to be tempted to take the Bulldogs. Um, when you talk about that kind of spread, I could easily see this be this game being decided by a field goal in the last seconds. So I'm all over plus six on Georgia for the uh, Georgia versus Alabama game. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to follow. It's been a lot of offense. I think offense is going to win out in that game, which kind of deterred me away from picking it. I think Bama will will probably win. At, I think probably more than six, but you know we'll see. Um, I'm going kind of off the radar again. I've got SMU minus six and a half against Tulane. Uh, you know, the Mustangs, they're 4-0 this year, 3-1 and against the spread, super high-powered offense. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Tulane to take care of. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Ponies. And, uh, you know, to recap last week, I went 1-2. and two. Uh, My Coastal Carolina-Louisiana game got delayed until tonight, actually. So I'm just going to have that carry over as well. So I'll have one extra game this week than you. So our uh, our records start matching up evenly again. But I lost uh, Louisville and Virginia Tech last week. Uh, won the Boston College game. You lost Louisville, Syracuse, and Texas. Won FSU. So you're one and three last week overall. Uh, I'm now six and twelve, which is uh, rough. And uh, you're seven, eleven, and one. Yes. So I have are, the edge. We are killing it this year. So what you're saying is we are making our fans money. Just when we make our picks do the opposite, it's a guaranteed hit. Yeah, you'll you'll be winning this year, right? So, so we're, just do we're the doing opposite a good of what thing. we just said. We're doing a good. You thing. should you should be fine. That's it. So that's our show for this week, Tim. Any final words before we wrap it up? No final words, really. I mean, this was I, I thought this was a great episode. I like when we can get passionate about these things, and you know, keep in mind when dealing with other hokey fans, whatever their opinion. It's all driven by passion. We're all on the same team, um, you know, so just sit back and enjoy it. I think we're in for a good week this week. Um, I think we're in for a good bounce back week. Uh, and, you know, again, we've got good ACC games on the slate to so kick back and enjoy it. College football at its finest. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll echo the same. You know, don't be afraid to uh, think outside the box and, you know, assess a game based off of something other than the box score. That's all we're saying. That's yeah, all we're saying. That's it. So I think it'll be better going for Virginia Tech this week. Uh, it's a primetime game, which is always fun. Um, I forget. Is the game in Chestnut Hill? I do not know, actually. Okay. It was in Chestnut Hill last year, so but I know the schedules kind of got out of whack. So either way, um, I, I think Virginia Tech has a pretty good shot to win. Looking forward to it. But that's our show for today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. Uh, You can listen to us in a variety of ways, but Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us a five-star review. Interact with us on Twitter, social media, Facebook. Hit us up. Man, we like going back and forth with you guys on Saturdays and and all throughout the week, honestly. 
Um, you can find us on our personal Twitters. Uh, Justin, you can you can tell yours, but mine is Timmy Jim with three M's. If you want to see me belly aching about the Atlanta Braves, tune in tonight. Uh, there will be a lot of that going on, and um, you know that's where you'll find me on Saturdays, as well as sneaking some tweets out on the Chatter and Grits handle. Uh, but other than that, just keep tuning in, man. We absolutely love you guys. We see it in the numbers. We see you're listening, and we couldn't appreciate it more. Um, it means a lot to us. So you know, just keep showing support, and we'll keep making these podcasts. Absolutely. Five stars, super easy. Go into your app, hit five stars, and leave us a comment if you want. You know, we want to see what you guys are saying. We want to see what you like. Um, you know, you don't like something, DM us on Twitter. Leave it off the review. That's all we <laughs> That's it. That's the move right there. That's expert advice from Justin Coach Yola. I expect nothing less. Yeah, that's that's what we do here at Chowder and <laughs> So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. <laughs>